everybody, welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your baseball history podcast, your weekly baseball history podcast, even. We were a little late last week because I was on the road, but it was still there. So we will we continue our weekly streak. Uh, joining me as usual is my co-host, who I did not see a single time for the entire <laughs> week that I was in Seattle. It is Mark A. Johnston. Mark, you are alive because I can hear I, you, but I did not see you. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, I'm here. I, I know I, I'm the kind of guy that looks like he just might have COVID. So you stayed away. I understand. I get it. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to talk about some stuff. You and I have both been to, I don't you've been to three or four games. I, I've been to four in person this year. I kind of wanted to, I thought people might like to hear some insight from people that have been at the ballpark during these games. So I thought we'd talk about that at one point. I've got a couple of other things uh, to talk about. Uh, just a reminder of what is coming up today, though, because we have got the second part of our conversation with Vance Law who I realize I at one point during the first part of the interview called him Lance Law, which I knew I told you I was going to do that. And I'm embarrassed that I did it. But uh, I didn't even hear it, man. Well, yeah. And you didn't catch it. So we know what will happen. Um, But speaking of kangaroo court, I, I hate to say it. I'm afraid you have got something that you need to bring up. Yeah, I'm afraid we have to go to kangaroo court here. Um. Uh, listener is, 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 I actually really like this guy. He's a funny dude and a good writer. He, uh, his name's Marshall and he's a, a, a fan of the show. And, um, he said, uh, in a recent episode, I believe I heard Jeff say the following quote, Al Dark won penance with the Kansas city and Oakland A's unquote. I believe he meant to say the New York giants and the Oakland A's, even though Jeff loves the A's, he cannot will them a pennant. No willing opponent to the lowly KCA is 55 through 67. Jeff should be assigned a, a, a fine of 52.6 cents, equating to a lifetime managerial winning percentage of Al Dark. Wow. Yeah, so I don't know. No, you're. he's absolutely right. 1962, the Giants, which, by the way, I have the entire 1962 uh, tops uh, San Francisco Giants team. I don't my my mom was a big fan so I I collected that entire team. But yeah, you're right. Uh, the he he won a pennant with the Giants in 62 and then in 74 he uh, led the A's to the to the last of their 3. So, uh, I just Marshall, did you say his name was? Yes. So Marshall, congratulations. I put a little Easter egg in every show. Uh, <laughs> I I say something wrong intentionally on every show uh, to see if anybody picks it up. You did. So congratulations, Mark. You did not. So I'm gonna fine you fifty three cents. Wait. Oh. Yeah. It's also it's, it's a, me again. It's a test. Yeah. It's also a test for you. Uh, definitely. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I saw it coming. So I already hit the ATM, dude. He checks in the mail. <laughs> yeah. No. Good catch there, Marshall. You you paying attention? I like it. Way to go. He is also a little concerned, uh, and I, I got to say, I'm right there with him, uh, that, that you want the Tampa Bay Rays just to be called the Tampa Rays. He, you said they don't want to be called Tampa Bay Devil Rays, but they took the devil out. Now he's thinking you want to take the bay <laughs> I out. Don't like, I don't like the bay. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, he says I should force you to buy a cardboard cutout of yourself for Tropicana Field, but uh, I, I don't have the power to do so. No, but I mean, so, you've seen Marlins man's bought one at every stadium that he can. 
Good for him. He's buying. We, we wouldn't be the same without yeah, him. Yeah, he's buying the plate at Kansas City. I'm, I'm staring at an A's game right now. He's in the second row right behind home plate in Oakland in front of Ricky Henderson. Ricky's right behind him. That's wrong. Oh, that's I, think he, I think he's there in <laughs> Seattle. I it, He's buying him wherever he can, which is, that's great. I mean, it, it makes sense. It's the Marlins man. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, so let's uh, let's jump into BP before we uh, before we get to the second part of our conversation with Vance Baugh, which uh, <laughs> is a great conversation. We got some really good stuff coming up with Vance and a Wax Packs Heroes with Vance Law today, which was really good as well. So a couple yes. of things. I've got a couple of really short things, and then I did something kind of cool, I thought, coming home from uh, from Seattle. Uh, first of all, uh, we do want to mention that you and I were on another podcast recently. Yes. Our, our buddy Chris from the uh, Turn a Pair Baseball podcast, who's been on this show a couple of times and was a part of our first annual Bump Bailey Wax Packs Hero Tournament of Awesome. Uh, we were on his show and had a good time. So uh, if you haven't checked out Chris's show, probably want to check out some other episodes so you don't have to just hear us talk. But uh, I'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. Go listen to that. That was fun getting to talk with him about baseball and just kind of the... Uh, kind of remembering things from our own baseball history, which was kind of fun. Yeah, it was. You know, I'm a big NBA fan, right? Big basketball oh, guy. Oh, you, uh, yeah, man, you you live and breathe NBA. Yeah, so I have just been soaking it up with these games all day, <laughs> every day. Uh, apparently, I did not know this. There is a a guy on the on the Clippers whose name is Reggie Jackson, <laughs> and oh, I no keep, I keep seeing Reggie Jackson. Uh, trending on Twitter. And so I'm like, uh Oh, did he say something? Is he dead? What's going on? And it's, it's NBA related and keeps, keeps fooling me. So just that's, to... that's exactly where my mind would go to. What did he say? <laughs> yeah. Oh no, he didn't die. Did he <laughs> insert gif of Denzel Washington, you know, being relieved that Reggie Jackson is alive and not in trouble. <laughs> there you go. Uh, another quick thing found out just today. You remember Terry Shumpert? Absolutely. Yeah, so Terry Shumpert was uh, was kind of a utility. He was a utility guy. He was the Vance Law, uh, kind of after Vance Law retired. He played for 14 years in the majors. I didn't realize he had that long of a career, but he played wow. everywhere. Um, and again, I just didn't realize he played for 14 years, but he is the uncle of Mookie Betts. I didn't know that. I didn't either. Huh. Thought that was interesting. So how to bring that up? Looking at his stats, boy, he did play a long time. Yeah, he I had no idea. I mean, I remember him on every one of these teams. The Royals, one year with the Red Sox, the Cubs, the Padres, and then the Rockies. I don't remember his final year with Tampa Bay, but um, <laughs> 14 years. That's a that's a lot of a lot of and, and look at his positions. Just ever it's like a number soup over there. Yeah, it's amazing. Talented guy, could do anything. So thought that was just interesting we'd bring that up. Saw another yeah. something very interesting. So Manny Ramirez, you know, Manny Ramirez, kind of the Ricky Henderson of his of, of his time, keep playing, still wants to play. Um, I, I think he was going to go play in the CPBL when the CPBL started up again this year. But uh, I don't think he's done it. But I, I saw an article it was very interesting. Manny is talking about wanting to play in the ABL, the Australian Baseball League, this winter. No kidding. Yeah, huh. and I know we've talked about the ABL. I watched it because they, they broadcast their games live on YouTube a couple of times a week. And so I'd be up at 
you know, 10 or 11 at night getting ready for bed. And I just pop it on and watch a couple innings of baseball. So I thought that would be interesting. But what really stuck out for me in this article, which I don't know why it wasn't included in everybody tweeting about it, was that there was a, a line at the end that said Felix Hernandez had also put out feelers about possibly being open to playing down under. I'll tell you what, if, if players start going to play down there, I, I mean, it sounded almost like, remember when we did the show on the senior league? Mm-hmm. Um, sounded similar to that. I tell you what, I'd watch. That's for sure. I, I have here. I, to- I typed up in my notes. This could be the new senior league. It could be the MLS <laughs> for baseball. Players past their prime go and, you know, Australia's nice, good weather. In the winter, sure. there are actual U.S. players that do play in that league that, as far as I know, they don't have any limits in terms of you can only have so many foreigners and i'm sure the abl would welcome a manny ramirez definitely a felix hernandez you know somebody that's still in the majors absolutely with open arms they would open them so that that would be fun yeah i thought that'd be interesting as we've been discussing i went up to seattle for a week and i i was there for the a's opening four game series uh, in t-mobile park i drove up and down i did not feel comfortable flying and it was it was a 12-hour drive it's not a bad drive and I caught up on some podcasts and stuff but while I was there I realized I saw a post in reddit of somebody from the major league network that had stopped in Dunsmere California and uh, I I said wow that sounds very familiar I think I think that's on my way uh, you know that I think I drove past it. And so I looked it up and it is, I drove right through it. The, the freeway goes right through it. It's a pretty small town. And he posted pictures of himself at a, at a ballpark there that in 1924, Babe Ruth and his teammate, Bob Musial traveled through California, barnstorming, playing against local teams. And there is a, a, a plaque this park still exists there a plaque commemorating it so i was like well i'm stopping on my way home and literally the freeway i could spit from the uh, first base dugout onto the freeway i mean it's like no right kidding. there and um, you found the plaque yeah i found the plaque i took pictures awesome. i walked around it was really cool because you know i'd seen the pictures before and i saw there was a little grandstand behind home plate it is exactly the same. It's obviously not the same grandstand. They've rebuilt it, but it's the same shape. It's still kind of awkwardly positioned. The, you know, the, the everything looks just like the picture is from that day that I have seen. So I went and stood out on the mound. I stood out at home plate. I walked the bases. I walked around the outfield and I just kept thinking to myself, God, Babe Ruth could have stepped right here. You know, and I thought it was really cool. I took a lot of pictures. It's down the right field line is Mount Shasta. It is beautiful. It's so like, you you know, in Seattle, you've got Mount Rainier that when you can see it, it's huge and imposing, even from Seattle, because it's so big. Mount Shasta is the same way here. And there's tree, you know, there's there's hills with a bunch of trees. It's really green. It's really pretty. And it was just really cool to stop at this old ballpark Um, in Cooperstown. There is an actual ad for this game for this exhibition in Cooperstown. And uh, it mentions it's a dollar 10 for adults to get in 25 cents for kids. Uh, As I said, Mount Shasta is right down the right field line. The, the pictures I've seen custom uniforms by, uh, by the Yankee team. They were pinstripe uniforms that said New York across the chest. So it's kind of a Hmm. conglomeration of what 
their their home and road uniforms are now. Um, because, you know, now they wear the pinstripes with the NY logo and then road grays that say New York. But in 1924, they just wore pinstripes, no NY. They didn't put the NY on it until 1936, but they wore the road grays that said New York. So I thought that was pretty cool. And, and finally, there is a very famous photograph of Babe Ruth posing at home plate with the catcher and the fans right behind him of this game. That photo sold for $13,000 recently. Wow. And when I say recently, wow. I mean January of 2019. The original picture sold for oh, wow. $13,000. So I'll post a picture uh, to, to some articles about this as well as to that picture also in the show notes. So check that out. That, that's fantastic. That's like a baseball geek's dream right there. Yeah. I, you know, I started doing this last year when I was traveling a lot, was seeking out baseball you know, historic places. Like I went to the, uh, it's not the original one, but uh, the the bar in Boston where the, the guy, the head of the Royal Rooters, you know, used to have a bar and they still have all of his paraphernalia in there and stuff. And I thought it was really interesting. So don't get to do it as much right now, but definitely seeking these places out. The time will come. Yep, definitely. All right. I wanted to talk to you uh, about kind of uh, your experience so far having been to some actual games in person and uh, I've got some some things to note here as well so you've worked three games now in person four games four all right so yeah yeah three Angels games and one Rockies all right so we've we've both been to four games what uh, I'll I'll start off here first all a lot of f-bombs are dropped by baseball players. <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah, you can hear that. I think you're seeing it when you're watching these games, but in person, yeah, you can definitely hear there's a lot of F-bombs being dropped. These guys love fudge. I hear them yelling about it all the time. Yeah, they are. A lot of uh, swear jars would be full <laughs> if you were there. Uh, I also noticed starting pitchers uh, bring a lot of props when they're not uh, when they're not playing. They're just sitting in the stands, you know, right behind uh, the dugout, and they're bringing props. A lot of A's players, uh, pitchers had signs that they're you know handmade signs that they were making. Uh, a lot of towel waving, a lot of interaction as if they were actual fans. I, I've I've enjoyed right. it. That's funny. I've, I haven't seen any signs, but I have seen uh, the the cheering sections and right behind the dugouts, and that is fun. Uh, another thing I meant uh, I saw a lot there in Seattle is those fan cutouts. They might as well be bullseyes because <laughs> every player for both both the A's and the Mariners, and I'm also seeing it in other places, just pick one out and they just drill them. <laughs> they just drill them. <laughs> yeah, I saw one get just taken out last night by a home run. It was, uh, <laughs> I think it was. Blackman, and he just absolutely smoked this poor cardboard cutout man. Well, I'm talking about after an inning, you know, when they're coming and they normally oh, yeah. toss it into the stands. Or oh, uh, yeah. Matt Chapman and Matt Olson have a tradition in Oakland is they'll stand at third base and they'll pick people out in the left field stands and throw balls to them from third base. So I watched them pick cutouts just right down the third baseline and they would just huck them and try to hit those, uh, those cutouts as hard as they could. I, I I'll have to watch for that. All I've seen is it seems like every foul ball pops one of these dudes in the face. I, it's amazing. Yeah. So th- that's, that's interesting. Uh, also it's a very, very, 
very, very, very, very casual <laughs> atmosphere in the ballparks these days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, grounds crew five minutes before first pitch still out there chalking the lines. <laughs> there are team employees dressed very casually because there's nobody there to see them. Uh, people showing up a lot later than 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 we're used to. And uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Just the casual atmosphere in a major league game, you know, compared to what we're used to. It's it's very unique. Yeah, very much so. My my call times are now about an hour before the game starts when they're normally an hour and a half or more, depending on how crowded it's going to be and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm going in a lot later and there's not that much traffic on the road as I go in. So it. it you know, I'm not leaving nearly as early as I normally do. Um, the the it's real quiet in the uh, control room. No running uh, because out after the, yeah. the final out of the game either. <laughs> no, no, there's no. Yeah, what 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 Jeff is saying is that it, if you don't run out after the game and get in your car, you're going to get stuck in the in the safe or sorry in the T-Mobile Park garage. Um, because, you know, stuck behind other cars. So you, you sprint out after the game and you beat the traffic out. You don't have to do that now because there's like 12 cars yeah. total, you know, in this giant parking garage. Uh, it's it, it, The PA announcer is in a completely different room. So Tom Hudler, we've had him on the show. He, uh, I don't get to, you know, hang out and insult him anymore. And he's, you know, in the other room. I, I don't even know if he's wearing pants. I, I have no idea. I haven't even seen him. So knowing Tom, he's not. So uh, it's it's definitely quieter. It's uh, like you say, very much uh, more casual than normally. And um, it, it's uh, the crowd effects. I find a little discombobulating. Yeah, not a but fan. I've at gotten all. used to it. Not a fan yeah. at all. They because the, by default, and I'm I'm sure this is from MLB. No matter what happens, there's a cheer when the home team puts the ball in play, even if it's just like a weak grounder to shortstop. It's initially a cheer and there's no negative noise like it's just yeah I'm, I'm not I'm not down with the the sound effects I'd rather just hear the the sounds but you know to be honest though in Seattle they really play them low uh, I could barely hear it and I was sitting out in the stands and I could barely hear it so oh interesting. yeah I, I've only heard it from uh, they opened up my window I, which in 22 years, the window I s- sit in front of or behind, I mean, has never been opened. They opened it up. And of course, last night, Matt Kemp hits one that goes about 100 miles an hour backwards through my window. And it, and it got me. I stuck my hand out. I did not catch it. But uh, it was uh, it was quite it was moving quite fast. It was pretty uh, awesome to get hit by a foul ball from Matt Kemp. Yeah, Sean Murphy fouled one off that hit the seat right next to me. But and it was loud and it was fast, but I knew it wasn't going to hit me. So I didn't really move. But yeah, I thought one of the coolest things was hearing dugout reactions, which you you, you would just generally not hear these in a real game unless you're sitting like in the first row behind the dugout. One I, I noticed, I, I forget who it was. It might have might have been Joaquin Soria for the A's was on the mound and he had a good his off speed pitch was really working well. It was dropping and he was changing speeds really well. And there were a lot of swings and misses by the Mariners. And there was an at-bat. It might have been Dylan Moore for the Mariners was up. It was a younger guy. 
fact, I'm pretty sure it was Dylan Moore. And he got behind in the count. And so Soria started throwing those and he laid off one. He checked his swing just before, you know, he might've gotten rung up and the entire Mariner dugout just erupted. And I thought it was really cool to hear, you know, see, have them watch the game and see those things and hear their reaction. Cause those are things, if you're a fan, you don't really get excited for, but for the players that know how hard that is, I thought that was pretty cool to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's a, a, a something that most people wouldn't pick out. And uh, yeah, that I, I've noticed that as well. I liked watching the Rockies last night um, cheer each other on and, and uh, how excited they got for home runs. And it was it, it's cool to see. Yeah, I like it. All right. So uh, let's jump into our debuts. So it's a, I'm going to do something a little different today. Uh, there were, you know, there's a lot of debuts, a lot of guys that have debuted today, but nobody of, of super note that I really wanted to, to point out. And that's because something happened uh, today. This show is debuting on August 11th that I wanted to mention because it's kind of an oddity. So August 11th, 1994, this is the day that the players went on strike that ended the season in 1994. Yes. So what is odd is the number of players that have their final game listed in the major leagues that they ever played on this day is a very long list. No kidding. <laughs> so essentially everybody that retired after the 94 season, this, this is the anniversary of their final day in the big leagues. So just wanted to run down a couple of names here that were on that list. Storm Davis retired remember he was with the uh, a's and the the padres and i think maybe the royals as well uh junior felix one of my Mm -hmm. favorite guys to mix in there with ken griffey junior felix jose canseco (laughs) i love that one by the way that's a good one uh lloyd mcclendon uh, former mariners manager pirates manager base thrower base stealer and base thrower (laughs) uh kevin mcreynolds K-Mac, oh, sure. he was on those, uh, was he on that, might have been on that 86 Mets team. I think he was. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then two more A's, Troy Neal, uh, he of uh, by a uh, private island so that you can avoid being arrested in the United States for not paying child support fame. Oh, boy. I When he was a player, I didn't know about this stuff, and I loved him. He was one of my favorites, but yeah, not a good guy. And uh, the late Bob Welch, who we've oh. talked about quite a bit. Won a lot of games for your A's. 27 games in one season. Also uh, right. inspired a Go-Go song that we've talked about in the past. That's right. All right. So uh, that was it. Those are the guys that uh, played their final game this day back in uh, August 11th, 1994. I thought that was kind of interesting. Let's jump into some trivia, Mark. I asked you a question last week. Let's see if you have come up with any sort of answer. We had so much fun talking about guys that had played for both the Yankees and the Mets that we decided to dip our toe in that pool one more time. And I ask you, who is the only pitcher to have won 20 games in one season for both the Mets and the Yankees? Any clues? I batted it around my friend and I definitely came up empty. I I, I can think of a lot of Yankees pitchers who won 20 games and not a lot of Mets, but I, I, I tell you what, I pulled a blank all week long. I'm, I have no idea. So it is, uh, I'm not sure if I would have come up with this. I, I guess I didn't realize the kind of success he had for the Yankees. Uh, he came up with the Royals. I'll say that 
pitched one oh, year for I the Royals. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> and then he went on to the Mets. That would be one Mr. David Brian Cohn. Yep. All you had to say was Royals. Oh, I should have had that. <laughs> so uh, David Cohn won 20 games uh, in uh, 1988. He was an all-star, came in third in the Cy Young that year. 20 and 3. Not bad. 2.22 ERA. Yeah, that's solid. Yeah, struck out 213 batters. And then at the age of 35 in 1998, he went 20 and 7 with the New York Yankees. He did Not it. Wow. Bad. He played seven years for the Mets, went 81 and 51, played six years for the Yankees, went 64 and 40. Overall, 11 years, 113 and 75, or I'm sorry, uh, 194 and 126. That's impressive. Not huh. uh, not too bad for Mr. Cohn. All right, I got another trivia question for you, and I'm going to stick with pitching. So another pitcher question. Okay. All right, what Hall of Fame pitcher over his career accumulated six seasons where he had fewer walks than games started? Wow. Okay, I'll bet that one around. I don't have any guesses at the moment. That's an impressive stat. To do it one time is impressive. Six times he started more games than he walked batters. So That's pretty amazing. That is yeah. a, an incredible feat. So I'll let you think about that. We will, uh, we're going to let the grounds coop work right up until we start this interview because, as we mentioned, it's a very casual atmosphere in Major League Baseball these days. Let us now jump back into our conversation with uh, former Major League infielder Vance Law. We had a really good time with Vance. He had a lot of great stories, a lot of good memories, and uh, he was nice enough to sit down and open up a pack of baseball cards with us, too. So without any further ado, let's jump right back into it. So how many you played every position except for catcher in your career? How many gloves did you travel with? Uh, two. I just I, I used the same glove for every position except for first base. I had a first baseman's oh, glove. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and, and I had an infield coach named Eddie Brinkman, and he uh, he suggested that you use the biggest glove that you could use. You use the biggest glove that you can feel comfortable with and play the infield with that because it's if it's a couple inches longer because you see second baseman who play with this little tiny glove. They say because you can get the ball out mm -hmm. quicker when you turn on a double play. I'm not a believer in that. I believe you use a, the same glove, and you get so used to where you catch the ball, you're always going to get it out if you use, you know, if you use the proper form. That's what I did. I ended up using that uh, the same glove every position except for first base, even in the outfield. It was a good size. Wow. I mean, twelve and a half inch. It was a twelve and a half inch glove that I used. You played for 10 years in the major leagues, and then you spent a year in Japan with the Chinichi Dragons, and you had a spectacular year there, which is hard to do. It's hard for a, for a foreigner to go over and really perform, especially in that first year. You hit 313, you had 29 home runs and 78 RBIs. What was your, what was your experience like playing in Japan? It was a great experience. Uh, very tough, though, I will say. I had to learn a new style of baseball. I had to uh, deal with no other Americans. Uh, I, we started out with a, you're allowed two foreigners on a, on a team. And uh, the other American that we had there didn't play well. And he got sent home after about a month. 
Um, and then the, the next foreigner they brought in was Taiwanese. So I was the only American on the team. And you have an interpreter who follows you everywhere when you're at the ballpark. Uh, when you go on road trips, he's right there by your side to take you to dinner or whatever. And, you know, we became pretty close friends because really he's the only guy that uh, uh, that you could speak English with. They they didn't. And I tried to learn Japanese, but, man, oh, man, that's a tough language to learn. So I didn't get <laughs> too far with that other than a few phrases. But, uh, you know, I could ask it tab how to you know to take me to the stadium and things like that but that was about it the style of baseball and it took me all of spring training which was about two months long i mean their spring trainings were crazy we didn't start till april and they wanted me there february 1st and i'm thinking i don't need two months to get ready i'm already in decent (laughs) shape but i did what you know i I didn't want to be that guy that's the american who you know needs to be catered to. I just did everything that they did. You know, after about an eight hour workout, they would run five miles back to the hotel to get in condition is is what their term was. So I joined the team. I was told I didn't have to, but I joined them and I ran the five miles with them all the way back to the hotel. And we did that three or four times a week during spring training. Um, But I'm sure that they were wondering who in the world did we sign because I didn't hit well at all in spring training, mainly because it wasn't like the U.S. where it, you get to a 2-0 count for the most part. I mean, there's certainly different pitches, but in in the U.S., if the count's in your favor, 2-0, 3-1, even 2-1, you can pretty well assume that you're going to get a good fastball. And over there, it was completely backwards. They pitched everybody backwards. Uh, every American backwards. And so 2-0, it would be this huge curveball or 3-1, huge curveball. Even 3-0, they would throw you a curveball or a forkball, something off speed. And it took me all spring training to figure that out. And once the season started, I got off to a great start, and I started understanding how they were going to pitch me. And uh, and I did. I had a really good year. That was uh, That was a very fun year. The 29 home runs, I wouldn't. It wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have equaled 29 home runs here in the states because their ballparks are a bit smaller. The the biggest ballpark I played in was was 390 to center field. So I hit a I hit a lot of warning track home runs in the states. Uh, a lot of warning track <laughs> home runs over there that would have just been out here at, at the warning track in center field. They they went out of the ballpark over there. Well, it looks like a 380-foot home run in the box score, okay? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Were you going to play another year? Were you signed there, or did that good year you had in Japan, then, you know, you signed with Oakland? Yeah, I tried to. I, I had a two-year deal. I had to buy my way out. Uh, the thing that I found out was it was so lonely because I was the only guy that could speak. You know, and if you ask former players what the greatest thing about their career is it's about the relationships and the camaraderie of being able to spend time with your teammates uh Mm -hmm. on on the you know when you go on the road you you're with these guys for eight eight nine months out of the year and to be eight nine months with guys that you can't even talk to 
it was it was very very lonely and uh so i leveraged the good year that i had and i told my agent i want to you know i i just can't go back it's just too lonely uh, my family was there when we were at home but it was not it just wasn't the same when you go on the road trips and you're gone for 10 days and you know you got really one person to talk to that's it and uh so i leveraged my good year my agent was able to uh, get me signed with, with Oakland because Carney Lansford that winter had been in a snowmobile accident. And yep. they, they were looking oh, for a, <laughs> they were looking for a uh, third baseman. And so I had the opportunity to come back to the States. And unfortunately that year didn't turn out real well in Oakland. That's a long story, but we won't get into that, but it wasn't, it, I just didn't feel like I got a fair shot in Oakland, even though I was playing for Tony La Russa, who I knew, from previous years in Chicago with the White Sox. Well, it sounds like that 91 season might be a little bit of a sore subject, but I do want to talk about something about that year because Mark, my co-host here, happened to be the clubhouse guy for Tacoma, who at that point was the A's AAA team. So I think you two have probably met before. (laughs) I believe so, yeah. I'm sure uh, we have, Yeah, I was in uh, I was in Baltimore. I would say it had to have been about the first part of August, and uh, about the first part of August, and I I got called into the manager's office, and uh, and Tony said, you know, I just received word they want to bring up a young rookie and see if he's ready to play, and uh, I'm ask, I'm going to ask you if you will go down and play playing AAA, and I was shocked. I said, well, you know, I'm still waiting for my chance here. You told me I'd have a chance to play, you know, because they had gotten Brooke Jacoby and Ernest Riles. And yet the most games I think I'd played in a row consecutively were maybe three games. And when you're accustomed to being a guy who who can go out there day in and day out um, to play sporadically, I wasn't used to that. And I wasn't prepared mentally to do that. So it's partly my fault. And he said, I realize that you really didn't get your shot, but will you do this? And if you do, I'll make sure you get called back up in September for another month of service time. And so I did, I went down for the month of August and uh, tried to do the best that I could. I don't even remember what my stats were in Tacoma, but uh, probably not very good because I hadn't, (laughs) hadn't played a whole heck of a lot. I think I only got about a hundred at bats that, that year in 91, but, I uh, sure enjoyed my time in Tacoma. There's, that's a great place. It's a great place. And, and, uh, who was managing for the Tigers that year, Tacoma Tigers that year? Was that Bob Boone or Casey Parsons? No, it was, uh, it was Newman, Mark Newman. Yeah. He was the manager there. Cause I worked a few years in the clubhouse and then I went up to uh, scoreboards. So I probably have washed your uniform at one point or another, man. <laughs> and you've probably never worn a cleaner uniform than when Mark was, uh, Manning the washing yeah. machines. <laughs> right. I'm sure you noticed how sparkling white and beautiful the, uh, you know, the colors and the whites were when uh, when you were in Tacoma. Right. Yeah, that was me. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. It's, it's a good gig, but it is a lot of yeah, hard work. That's it true. It sure is. So, Vance, you played with a lot of Hall of Famers. You've mentioned a couple of them, uh, Harold Baines. You pitched against Tony Gwynn. Um, the, the two names that really perked my interest is my you, you were teammates with my favorite player of all time, Ricky Henderson. You were teammates with Tim Raines 
in in Montreal. Um, who is the who do you think out of all of the guys that you've played with, who is the absolute best player that you ever played with? Best player um, that I played with, uh, I would say it was Tim Rain. He mm-hmm. was awesome. He could do he could do anything. I, I know that Ricky Henderson holds a record, but Ricky stole bases sometimes to be stealing bases. Uh, Tim Raines would steal a base when it was going to help you win a game. And, uh, you know, he, I believe that he could have stolen a lot more bases if that was really his goal was to see who could, who could steal the most bases. He could steal pretty much any time he wanted to, but he could hit from both sides of the plate and just, uh, just a fabulous player, uh, and a great person. Uh, Andre Dawson was another really, really good player. Sandberg was a good player. He's another Hall of Famer. Um, Tom Seaver, a great pitcher. Harold Baines was a great clutch hitter. You know, I understand Ricky. You know, Ricky was different. He was a different kind of teammate. <laughs> I, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, you know, I played with the Bash brothers, those guys, that McGuire and Canseco, and that was a that was a great experience also but uh yeah those uh i I was very very fortunate with who i got to play with and uh you know things went things went pretty well trying to think but yeah i'd say tim Raines was still the best player that i ever played with overall best uh you know and i I'm, i'm still staying in contact with with he and and Andre Dawson occasionally. I talked with Andre last week with all this race stuff that's going on. And just, you know, I wanted to get his perspective on how things are going with him and his family. And He's got a really interesting career going right now after baseball as well down in Florida. Oh, yes. His, uh, his family owns a, fu- a funeral home. And... Uh, <laughs> When I when he told me that one time when we were talking, I couldn't believe it. But his wife pretty much is the she's kind of the one that manages that and does all of that. He still dabbles in a, a few things, PR some PR stuff, I believe, with the Cubs, but I'm not sure. Uh, I didn't even ask him what he was doing right now. But anyway, he's uh, what a wonderful person. Just one of my all-time favorite teammates. Vance, in, in uh, 1988, you uh, made the All-Star Game. Right. You're with the Cubs, and I was just looking at who made the All-Star Game from the uh, from the Cubs that year, and you were in pretty decent company. Uh, <laughs> as you mentioned, Andre Dawson, Greg Maddox, Ryan Sandberg, Rafael Palmero, and Shawan Dunstan were the other yeah. five. That's pretty good company. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was a great year. And it was a great team. We just didn't. We just lacked a couple of pitchers in order to, you know, in order to make the playoffs in '88. We made them made it in '89, but '88 was really a special, a special year for me personally. That was by far the best year that I had. But you know, being there with Andre, uh, with Greg, with Rhino, with Rossi, it was really a. And Sean Sean Dunson was another great teammate that I had. It was just fun to have six of us representing the city of Chicago. That's pretty cool. So uh, before we open a pack of baseball cards with you, I want to just talk about your father uh, quickly, uh, Vern Law, which today 
uh, when we're recording this, uh, July 28th, it is actually the anniversary of your father's big league debut today in from 1950. Wow. This was uh, the, the day. Yeah. So uh, wow. he went on to win the Cy Young Award and the World Series in 1960. We actually talked about him uh, in our last episode um, preparing to to talk with you. Your dad's, I found this very interesting, your dad's Saber bio mentioned he got a ball autographed by Babe Ruth when he was in high school. Have you ever seen this ball? Is that something that he still has? Yeah, it, it was. And my dad doesn't really, uh, he's not really a fan of memorabilia, uh, but that, that has been in our home. And I was kind of the custodian of it for the last 15 years. But he is, I've got a brother who's been sick with leukemia. And so I think that he's thinking about trying to sell sell it. You know, it's fading over the years. But he got it back in 1948. Uh, he was playing in a tournament in Montana. He's from Idaho. And they had an American Legion tournament. And they went to Montana to play in, in this uh, American Legion tournament. And Babe Ruth was the, the guest speaker. And so he just took up a baseball and got a, ball signed by Babe Ruth and that's been in uh been in our possession since then uh I don't I need to ask him if we if he still has it but uh it's uh you know that's kind of an interesting an interesting thing that's I guess a little side that that he is uh he's got one of those I I was able to get a bunch of I kind of like that kind of stuff and so i've got a bunch of uh, autograph balls that that i have uh, on display in my home uh, one of them i went through some of the old balls that he has at his house there was a team ball back in about 1950 something and there's a honus wagner signature on it oh wow and uh, he was i said how did this how did he get on this ball and he said oh he was our bench coach so, you know, there's a, <laughs> wow. a long link back to the early 1900s when you talk about having something signed by uh, by Honus Wagner. But yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty cool. No, he's got a lot yeah. of he's got a lot of neat stuff. So I mentioned you probably grew up around the the clubhouse in Pittsburgh when your father was uh, your father was playing, and we have talked about the 1960 World Series several times. Did you ever get a chance to meet? Bing Crosby when you were growing up? No, I never did. I never met him. My dad tells a very interesting story regarding Bing, though. My my grandmother, his mother, was a huge fan of Bing Crosby. And when he was graduating from high school, he he was going to uh, – they, they didn't have a draft, and they just had all these clubs coming. There was about 10 teams that came to Meridian, Idaho, to try to sign my dad. And uh, they all were – congregated the scouts were congregated outside the home and at one at a time they would go in and each one of them had a cigar and a lit cigar and uh, my grandfather would say you can come in but the cigars got to stay out uh, as people may know we are members of the lds church and we don't we don't smoke or drink and my dad was a was uh that kind of a guy he's the one taught us this and so we uh come to find out all nine other teams went in the last team that went in was the pirates well he found out later that the pirates scout knew about his religious beliefs and he made they made sure that he had 
a, a box of cigars, the scout had a box of cigars that he would pass around to all the other teams <laughs> and uh, <laughs> to get in good favor. But the thing that sold the deal was Bing Crosby, who was a minority owner for the, uh, for the Pirates at the time, called during the time that the scout was there. And, uh, and my oh, wow. grandmother was just, you know, she was head over heels at Bing Crosby. She was actually speaking with Bing Crosby. So that sealed the deal. My dad ended up signing with the pirates because of that, that, uh, experience. <laughs> that is a great story. <laughs> that something? Yeah. That's outstanding. <laughs> That's why we do the show. <laughs> All right. Well, Lance, do you have time to open up a pack of baseball cards with us? Sure. All right. So this is a segment that we like to call Wax Packs Heroes. Gotta pull a wax pack hero. What we do is we have got a pack of uh, 1991 score baseball cards here. And I thought this was a good, this is what we, the year we use for everybody, but I thought this was great because you were still in the league at this point. Um, we score them using a May 1992 Beckett baseball card monthly. That way there's some value to a lot of these cards that might not have value these days. Um, but we've got a couple extra rules. Uh, first of all, if the player is wearing real stirrups, you get an extra cent. If they're wearing the two-in-one stirrups, uh, it's minus one cent because we love real <laughs> stirrups. Uh, if they're sporting a mustache, you get an extra cent because a lot of guys were wearing mustaches at this point. And then if it's a Hall of Famer, now if they're in the Hall of Fame, you get an extra five cents. So that is the way we do it. Did you wear real stirrups or the two-in-ones? I wore the two and ones during batting practice because it was easy to uh, just throw them on because I was going to change anyway. Then I wore the uh, regular. I always wore sanitary sock and stirrups in a game. Love to hear it. Yeah, that nice. is good news. Nice. <laughs> All right, so here we go. We're going to open this up and uh, let's see what we got. All right, so uh, leading off, this is a Cub. Uh, I'm not sure that he was on the Cubs when you were there. It is a catcher, Hector Villanueva. Yeah. I, I recognize that name because Harry Carey had such a difficult time <laughs> saying that name. <laughs> Absolutely. Him and Mark Grudzelanek, he yeah. could not pronounce those names. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, so that is, uh, there's no value for Hector Villanueva in Beckett, but he's got a mustache, but unfortunately he's also got the two and ones. So that <laughs> one's a wash there. Next, this guy, oh boy, this guy, he's listed as a second or as a third baseman here. He went on to become a second baseman of note here with the Indians, Carlos Bayerga. Oh yes. Uh, Carlos, I worked for the Cleveland Indians now, and I got to know Carlos in the short spring training that we had this year. He's a he's really a, he's a fun guy to be around. Really enthusiastic about the game. He's I believe he hit. I don't know if it was a grand slam from both sides of the plate in the same game, or from yeah from both sides. He was a switch hitter, and maybe it was just he hit a home run from both sides of the plate in one inning. That might be the uh, trivia about Carlos. I remember Carlos was with the, with the Indians and then he was with the Mets as well. And he right. was just, he always had some good, good power. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So, so he's got a mustache in this card, which is great, but he likewise is wearing the two-in-ones. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they just came out with those pretty yeah. pretty recently in the 90s like that. So, yeah, a lot of guys wore them. Yeah, we, we know if we go earlier than 90, this probably doesn't affect anybody. But, yeah, 91 is prime time. But this card is worth two cents in Beckett, so you're on the board there <laughs> with that one. Next, we've got a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, Dana Kicker. No, don't know him. I remember that name because it's a unique last name, but yeah. Kicker? Yeah. Kicker. That that doesn't ring a bell at all. I I just remember being an A's fan. I remember he would be in that rotation because the A's would play the Red Sox every year in the uh, ALCS at that point. But that card is not worth anything. He is wearing real stirrups, though. So you're going to get one cent there we go. because he's he's got those good <laughs> stirrups on. Next, this guy was with the Yankees. I remember he was supposed to be kind of a superstar, and he never really panned out. Outfielder Oscar Azokar. Yeah, I don't I, I don't have any experience with him either. So, uh, Jeff, I don't know that don't, guy. I, I, <laughs> I remember him because, uh, of course, Ricky was on the Yankees for a while, so I remember that name. No mustache. He does have real stirrups, but no value in Beckett. But you'll get one cent for that, so you're up to four cents now. Uh, next, rookie prospect for the New York Mets, Julio Valera. No. I do not. I don't have I don't know Julio. Yeah, I don't have him uh, on my radar either. Well, Beckett did. They gave him two cents, and he's got a mustache, so that's big money for you right there. That's a three-cent card. Now, this one, why, I just saw this guy's name come up uh, recently, and I don't remember why. It is another rookie prospect, this one with the then California Angels. It's Joe Gray. And I, I know he stuck around for quite a while. Joe Gray. Uh, yeah. Uh, G-R-A-H-E. I don't recall him either. No, that, one's not, hmm. that, that one's not ringing a, ringing a bell either. Well, this is a rookie card, so Beckett, I think the default is, t- is two cents. Uh, if it's a rookie card and he does have real stirrups. So that is three cents and you are up to 10 cents now. So we're rolling in the cash. Now. There we go. Next, we've got another rookie prospect. This a pitcher for the Reds, Rosario Rodriguez. For the Reds. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> we're we, sorry too. We this may have to been... go back to the 85, 85, 86, 87 or something. I'm not, I'm not hearing, hearing any names that I really recognize. <laughs> Well, he is uh, he is a rookie, so you you do get another uh, two cents from that, and he's got real stirrups, so that's three cents to bring you up to thirteen cents. Okay, okay. Uh, next, now this one, number one first round draft pick for the Houston Astros. Uh, unfortunately, he never made anything because I've never heard of him. Tom Nevers, unfortunate last name there for never having made it. <laughs> right, right. No, he's he's not. Uh, he's he's another one that I don't recognize. Jeff, are you sure he's a baseball player? <laughs> oh, wait, this is, this is, these are hockey cards. I'm sorry, I pulled the wrong pack. Right. <laughs> uh, that is. I knew that one would be worth some money though, because that's a first round draft pick. That's seven cents right there. So Keep that is a big time right there. That'll bring you up to twenty cents. Next pitcher, I remember this guy was around for for a good bit. Pitcher for the Royals, Steve Crawford. Yeah, I, I recognize that name. He was, uh, and he was, he was a solid, he was a solid pitcher, solid pitcher. He uh, is, uh, yeah, he's kind of a, a middle, uh, middle of the order guy. 
been around for, I think it looks like 80 was his first year. Uh, no value from Beckett, but he has got a nice, big, bushy mustache there. So you're going to get one sent from him. Okay. Uh, this guy, we've talked with this guy uh, about this guy. We had uh, Don August on a little while ago, and Don August was on that 88 Olympic team. And or I'm sorry, 84 Olympic team. And this guy was the biggest prospect on that Olympic team with Mark McGuire and, and Will Clark and uh, some other guys. It's Shane Mack, outfielder for the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, he was and he was a good player. He uh, I played against him for quite a few years. Not a real big guy, but he could run, had some power. Yeah, I, I, I like the way that Shane played. He played hard. I remember Shane Mack, and, and I remember that about him. And Pure athlete, and man, he, he had one speed, and that was full speed. He's uh, He actually moved, it says here on the back of the card, that he came up and, and that actually moved Kirby Puckett from center field to right field so that they could put Shane Mack in center field. That's, yeah. that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that card is not worth anything, but he's got that mustache that he always has. So you get one <laughs> cent there. Next uh, center fielder for the Dodgers, it is Stan Javier. Yeah, I know I know Stan, and Stan was a good player. He's uh, the son of Julian Javier, who was a very good infielder for the St. Louis Cardinals back in my dad's day. And uh, so I, yeah, I, I got to know Stan through the Players Association, and uh, really a nice guy. I remember Stan as a, as an A's fan. He was a he was kind of a, a version. Well, you played everywhere, including the outfield, but he played all three positions in the outfield. Right. Uh, it was really that really great fourth outfielder for the A's for a while. Uh, next, we have got a uh, shortstop for the Boston Red Sox. It is Luis Rivera. Yeah, Louis. Uh, Louis later played or earlier played with me in Montreal, and I know Louis. I, I know Louie, he's a, another guy that played with glasses. Not too many guys played with glasses, but Louie did. Yeah, we're we're thinking of updating some of our rules, and one of the rules would be an extra cent for those glasses, because he does. He's got the exact same looking glasses as you used to wear. Right, right. Um, so no, uh, no value on the card from Beckett, but he's got real strips, and he's got a mustache, so you get two cents there. You're up to 25 cents. You can almost make a phone call in 1990. Uh, with that uh next it is shortstop for the cleveland uh, team it is felix fermin I, I certainly remember the name i didn't have any interaction with him but uh he was a good uh he was a good solid good solid backup player did to play really regularly but uh but yeah, he, he had a yeah, good, good glove player. yeah yeah good glove no value from beckett but he's got a mustache and he's got real stirrups so uh That'll help you out there with two cents. Next pitcher for the Kansas City Royals, left-hander Mark Davis. Boy, Cy Young Award winner with the San Diego Padres in about 88, 87, 88, something like that. And left-handed reliever. Uh, Yeah, he was a lefty. Am I talking the same Mark Davis? You are absolutely right. It's 1988. And yeah, he was a, or no, I'm sorry, it was 1989 with the Padres. You were right on. He had 44 saves and a 1.85 ERA. He was very impressive. One story I have about him, he's pitching with the the Padres. I was with the Cubs. He he came in to pitch. I was, uh, I was a hitter at the time. We had a man up, we had a man on third base. I got the, uh, 
I think the count was like two and one. And uh, Mark was on the mound, really nice and a nasty curveball. I look down and I get the squeeze sign. He throws a curveball that bounces just behind home plate. I go to bunt it and it's in the dirt and I miss the ball. Catcher doesn't block it. The run scores, but the umpire called it as a foul ball. And I oh, never fouled it no off. No replay. I didn't know replay <laughs> and I didn't foul it off. So instead, the runner has to go back. Now it's two and two. I look down, I get the squeeze. I get the squeeze sign once again. And I, uh, I was able to lay a good bunt down. I get another curveball, but it was up in the strike zone. I got the curve. I got the bunt down to score the run. So that was kind of a fun, a fun memory. Don Zimmer, he was not afraid to try stuff and he knew his personnel. And I was, uh, you know, I was called on to get a two strike squeeze down in order to win the game. Don Zimmer, the manager with the greatest face in in baseball history. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah, that's right. All right, so uh, unfortunately no value there for Mark, but he does have uh, real stirrups. He'll get one cent there. You've got two cards left. Okay. And uh, let's, let's see, you've got the first center fielder here with the Tigers. I think most people probably remember him with the Blue Jays, but it is Lloyd Mosby. Yeah, Lloyd was a great player. He was... Uh... He was one of the best players in the league at the time that I was playing when he was with the Blue Jays. Uh, just a solid, solid outfielder, a guy with good power, could run a little bit. Yeah, he was a really good player. Yeah, George Bell uh, is on Twitter recently said that he was kind of the glue that held that uh, yeah. held that great outfield together. Yeah, for Mosby, sure. But for sure. Card is not worth anything in Beckett, but he's got a mustache and he's got real stirrups. So you'll get your, <laughs> your two cents there. You're up to 32 cents with uh, with one card left here. And it is first baseman for the San Diego Padres, Phil Stevenson. Actually, uh, played with Phil in Chicago. He got up uh, with the Cubs for a little bit. And his, uh, his brother has been a long time uh, baseball coach at Wichita State, and uh, but Phil was a good left-handed hitter. Uh, didn't get it. Didn't get as much playing time as he probably uh, deserved over the over the course of his career because he was uh, he was a good solid player. Uh, just kind of ran into a, you know, it takes a break if you're going to be playing all the time, you know, and. Sometimes that break comes, sometimes it doesn't. There's been a lot of minor leaguers who deserve to get to the major leagues, but, you know, they're stuck behind a guy that's a perennial all-star and they never really get the chance to go. So I think Phil kind of ended up in that situation a little bit. Yeah, well, uh, that so that wraps up your pack. I'm, I wish we could have had a better pack for you. <laughs> that's <there>. okay. <laughs> you end up with 32 cents, which is... Unfortunately, it's 10 cents out of our top 10 for our guests. Uh, Lance, we want to thank you so much for joining us. We had a great time. It was really great to get to talk with you. Well, and, and you are, you said you're doing some, uh, some scouting or some coaching for the, did you say the White Sox? No, well, I was with the White Sox for the last six years, but uh, I've signed with the Cleveland Indians. And the that's Indians, what I, sorry. Yeah, so I'm with the Indians. I would have been in... Uh, in low A as a bench coach in Lake County, Ohio. So that's what I'm doing. 
Well, uh, thank you again so much. We really did enjoy talking with you, and uh, we will hopefully talk with you again sometime in the future. Thank you so much. All right. You bet. Thank you. All right. So that was really great. We really appreciated Vance coming on. Uh, I I would like to have Vance come back again because uh, he was... uh, he had a lot of <laughs> a lot of good stories and and a lot of stories about the wax pack heroes. Uh, I thought he had a lot more. Uh, uh, I I feel like he might be a little bit more active in the players union than some of our former guests and and knows some of these guys. So that was that was yeah. really interesting. But thank you again. I, I I can't get over that story about how his his father signed uh, <laughs> his first contract. That is absolutely the, hysterical. The cigars and then playing right into the uh, Vance's <laughs> grandmother's hand by having Bing Crosby make a well timed <laughs> phone call to the house. That's you, great. You couldn't make that up. That's too good. Yeah, that is just a great story all around. All right. Well, let's. Uh, I'd like to thank all of our listeners as always. If you do want to get a hold of us, you can find us on social media. I'm I'm back at home now, so hopefully we'll be a little bit more active this week. You can find us at Two Strike Noise. That is at T W O Strike Noise, both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I did hear one of our friends on the uh, the. Uh, baseball beyond batting average called us two strike nose that you cannot reach us at that it is two strike noise uh you can find us on both of those socials uh mark they can also send us an email which we'll be happy to to uh, reply to uh, you want to tell them how to reach us there sure uh, spell it out same thing two strike noise at gmail.com we answer every email personally. It took all I could do to not say two strike nose again because that's stuck <laughs> in my head. Uh, so thanks a lot. That's someone you have to punch twice to get him to shut up. The two strike nose. <laughs> all right. So uh, if you want to tell your friends, your family, your coworkers, uh, you meet somebody on the street, stop them and say, "Hey, have you heard about two strike noise? You should listen to him if you're a baseball fan, or even if you're not, then you'll learn something about baseball, hopefully." Mark, I have got some great ideas for next week. I am in. Uh, are you going to be here? I, I am definitely going to be here. I will have more stories. And I've got, I found out a few things that I've been researching that are really interesting. I think our listeners are going to enjoy it. All right. So you've gotten some new picture books. That's great. Great news for everybody. That's right. All right. So uh, for uh, myself, Jeff, and for Mark, we will see you next week on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye.